0: You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia.
1: Welcome to The Main Course. We're going to be talking about restaurant supplies today. And I'm pleased to be speaking with one of the leaders in the industry, Patricia Bible, who's the Founder, president, and CEO of K-Tom Restaurant Supply, which is based in Kodak, Tennessee. Patricia, you know I've, I've done some research into you and and into the company, and you know you come from a rather humble upbringing. Can you discuss that a little bit? And that what were some of the lessons that you took away from it that you felt were valuable in in starting the company?
0: You know, it's interesting that you ask that question because for many, many years I thought being raised in an impoverished family was not to my good end. It comes out to be one of the greatest blessings I ever could have received. So I say thank you to my mother and my grandmother for allowing that to happen. In our environment, we were taught to work hard. We were taught to uh, from, to take from the earth what we put in, meaning that we had a garden in our backyard. And when we finished that garden, we were the people that, me and my three siblings, that went around the neighborhood selling whether it was corn or tomatoes or cucumbers. And uh, that's actually how our family paid the rent during the summer months. Year round, the four of us delivered the papers and it didn't matter if it was bitterly freezing cold when we would pick them up at 11 p.m. at night on a Saturday night to be sure everyone had their paper by early Sunday morning or if it was blazing hot and we were on our bicycles with our little sack knocked across our shoulder full of papers. Well, out of that, I was the one that was chosen to do the collection of the money and to keep up with the accountability. So I learned to be a CPA long before I knew I needed to be one. So uh, I say that in jest. Also, we had a local pool that uh, most of the kids got to have an annual membership to, and they got to go and play and run and have such a good time. Well, we got to work there. So as employees, we got to have that membership without a fee. And we worked while the other kids played, but as I said earlier, those were some of the richest blessings that I could have asked for, especially as we have continued and KTOM has become the powerhouse in our industry that it is today. So a great big thank you to my mother my grandmother, two very, very strong women that pushed through very, very difficult times. And taught their children to do the same.
1: And some of the things that you emphasized were, um, and that they emphasized, um, was kind of always be pushing and to strive to do and be your best. And that was something that you also shared with your husband. Um, and how, un- how important do you feel that those qualities are important, um, you know, to, uh, to success and to, uh, you know, to just grow a business?
0: I think it's critical, to be quite honest with you, and I I really refer to that as drive. And, you know, we all have this internal, intrinsic ability to be more than we really are. But quite frequently, when we get to the crossroads of a difficult time in life, we either freeze and stop or we become comfortable because we're unclear and unsure of what's on the other side of that crossroad. So we just kind of stop there and and that becomes our life and there's nothing wrong with that certainly. But then there are a few. They're willing to walk across that unknown boundary, push through, have that extra drive to get across that that is very uncomfortable. And that's when the huge payoffs really seem to happen, or at least that's what I have experienced in life, was when I thought I didn't want to or I was positive I couldn't, I pushed through. And did it. And I remember one of the lessons Tim taught me was, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And he was right.
1: So K Tom has a very interesting backstory um, that you you know kind of actually started it working out of your garage. Um, so can you fill us in a little bit on on that backstory and and how K Tom got started?
0: Happy to, and it really is the uh, true American dream. But we didn't know it was the true American dream at the time. My husband was a builder, and he built Western Sizzlin' Steakhouses, and I was always right there at his right arm, helping with anything that was needed. And once we came back to our hometown, there were more Western Sislin franchisee owners in our small town than any other place in the country. So they developed a trust with Tim, and they would come to Tim and say, hey, we need some Uh, containers. We need a replacement refrigerator. We need mops and brooms. And so uh, he was running some steakhouses, but had several hours during the day of his free time. And so he would go out and he would cultivate these relationships and he would resell this merchandise to his friends basically at the same price that he paid for it. Well, after that went on for a little while, and and his beloved race car came out of that garage, he said, huh, uh, we can make a business out of this. And so we did exactly that, got a small computer, began to put things into the computer so we could keep up with, with the items that we were selling put a small margin on it, began to collect sales tax and pay sales tax and do all the things that business owners do, which was quite a shock for us. And at that point in time, it was very obvious that we could be more and do more than what we had done in the garage. So we bought a small 6,000-square-foot building. And Tim was always on the cutting edge of technology. And I still have his original Mac Notebook that has the rainbow on the front of it. And I just adore that. And he was out laying out a flyer, which ended up being an 11 by 17 tabloid type flyer that we would take addresses out of phone books and then mail this catalog that we had developed to our potential customers. And it just continued to grow from there. And of course, let me just be really clear. He was very visionary. And at the time, I didn't know I had that in me, but he believed in the internet back when everybody said, oh, no way. Nobody's going to buy a spoon or a fork, let alone a refrigerator. You're wasting your time. So he didn't ever get to see that dream come to fruition. However, 30 days after his passing, I was determined that anything he started, I would complete. So we went live with uh, KTom.com, which I refer today to his proverbial gift to our family.
1: Unfortunately, um, your husband passed away in 2001. Um, was that a time for you where you, you, you went on and you continue going on, but did you contemplate whether or not this was going to be
0: your continue to be your journey? oh gracious um that morning i remember as though it were yesterday and uh the four of us my daughter my son my husband myself were in the kitchen getting ready to go off to school and off we went uh, as far as charlie and i were concerned my daughter was home from college for fall break and I left to take Charlie to school that morning. He wasn't driving at that time and Paula stayed behind with her dad. And I just dropped Charlie off, pulled into my office and I got that call that Paula was just gasping for breath. And she said, mother, I found dad in the, in the parking lot. And I said, Paula, stay on the phone with me. I want you to walk through mouth to mouth. And so, uh, as we did everything we could, um, Unfortunately, didn't make it that morning. And so the three of us went to a park bench in our local community. And we had a very frank conversation. And that, that conversation was, hey, kids, we're going to be fine. You're not going to have to come home and miss your college experience. Charlie, you're still going to get the truck that your dad bought for you right before his passing on your 16th birthday. But here's the, the outlier. We had 18 single head of household women that worked for us. One was a grandmother that was raising her seven grandchildren. Two were aunts that were raising their children that didn't belong to them. And others were single mothers. Some of them came out of abusive backgrounds. And I said, our duty is to go back into KTOM and make sure that these women have a means to make a living. And that's what pushed KTOM forward. I didn't want to do it. I was so hurt, so broken that I really didn't even know how to do it at that time. But the driving factor were those 18 single head of household women.
1: You have been a
0: female leader
1: in the restaurant industry. Um, how have you found that? Um, and you've given us some examples of how you've um, helped empower women um, who worked with you, um, but do you have other examples. And why, you know, why you've kind of always had this um, goal to um, to empower other women?
0: I think the very interesting thing about my relationship with Tim, my late husband, was that he always believed in me, and he always believed that I could do anything. Well, we had a, a young daughter. And I had came out of the background of strong women. And that just became second nature to me, was that I love that people really believed in me when so many didn't. That grandmother, that mother, my husband, that they thought of, there was more in me than I had a clue was within myself. So that has always given me a drive toward women that so many times we don't get the opportunities that, to be honest, men get. So when I've sat in the seat that I sat in today, there are 53% of our workforce that are women from our board of directors to our senior management staff, all the way through to our middle management, a third of those 53 are involved in leadership. And anytime someone comes along that really shows themselves to be strong in that arena, a woman, we immediately elevate them. That is not to say that they are chosen because of their gender. That is to say that they were chosen because, yes, They were a woman, but they had worked really hard to get to where they are.
1: How have you noticed that the restaurant industry has changed over the years?
0: Oh, my goodness. It is absolutely vastly different day and night. Uh, When first entering into the restaurant equipment world, Uh, we literally did everything with a piece of paper and a pen. And then I remember there was a big moment in our lives when we were growing Katom. And Tim walked through the door with this great big box, and it was probably four foot tall and foot and a half wide. And I said, what's that? And he said, oh, this is going to revolutionize us. And I said, okay, how much did it cost? You know, as we women would ask that immediately. And he said, oh, it was only $750 and I just had a meltdown. I said, that's our house payment. And when he opened the box, it had this thing called a fax machine. And we were one of the first people to have a fax machine and now look at us. We're so automated and email and e-commerce and all the wonderful things that have happened. And then another thing was used to when you walked into a, um, a showroom, they were dark and dingy and not very clean. And today they're very uh, state-of-the-art, cutting-edge, really presenting the best and the latest in equipment and supplies. So we have changed vastly, but I will say we have a long way to continue to go. Where do you see it going? I see it becoming even more evolving from the standpoint of um, uh, energy savings, water savings, being very in tune with our environment and knowing that the Products that are being sold are not just lackadaisically brought to the marketplace, but that everything has a purpose, that the footprint of technology be really stretched into every piece of what we do, including the equipment itself, that energy efficiency continues to be huge, that the uh, uh, footprint of the equipment, which is so important when you're laying out a kitchen, that you don't don't have a a fryer that's two foot too wide because every every inch is critically important. But if you need an air fryer that that is that's the choice that is made versus a conventional, uh, oil fryer, that you may have a ventless piece of equipment instead of a large vented equipment. I think we're seeing so much change in our industry that's making us part of the positive part of our environment.
1: You mentioned a little bit about um, the facilities that you have. Um, your building itself doesn't look like a traditional uh, restaurant supply building. It's very open and welcoming in in a way um, that uh, you know is is was that part of the plan? And can you talk a little bit about expanding the facility and um, and how those expansions help restaurants?
0: Ah, yes, I sure can. And I, I feel like we came out of that 6,000 square foot building that I spoke of earlier actually turned into a 27,000 square foot building as we continued to every penny we would earn, we would reinvest in that building. Well, that building had one window and that one window was covered up with a piece of paper because there was all this equipment inside with, um, uh, that had to do with computers, et cetera, and just felt like that was a safety issue. So when we got the opportunity to move, one of the things that I looked for windows I was hungry for light I was hungry for brightness I was hungry to bring this great big beautiful outside world into the inside of our building as we grew and that's exactly what this has ended up being and as we're looking at doing our next 18,000 square foot expansion there's a lot of emphasis spoken about skylights and windows where all of our associates get to have that environmentally sound feeling. And we just opened an additional segment onto our uh, current building on September the 10th. And with that, it's been amazing course, it fell right in line with COVID because at the time, we didn't have a lot of PPE supplies, but we immediately went out and sourced that. And had we not had this, this under roof, we would not have been able to have stored all this additional supply and equipment that was needed. Also, when all of COVID hit, so many of our factories had people who were canceling purchase orders, we doubled down. We took anything that we could find, and it was a gamble, but we took any merchandise that we could find and brought it into our entity so that when people had those issues of which what did we see a big big push on was freezers because they didn't know what the outcome would be as far as storing their their meats and their perishables. So that became a huge seller all of a sudden. And thankfully, we had the foresight to uh, have several hundred in stock.
1: So in June, the company had its single greatest month in history, which is during the height of the pandemic. When many restaurants were closed and operating just either takeout delivery or outdoor dining, how were you able to do the pivot that the restaurants did in order to kind of be nimble and, and be there for your clients?
0: Well, uh, let's go back just a bit before June, and that would have been the really the last two or three days of March, right there into April, when the whole world was spinning, to be quite honest, and we didn't know what, what was going to happen. So I brought my senior team together and I said, okay, in 24 hours, I want each of you to come back to the table with an idea of how we can get through this pandemic, how Tom can have a different face forward that will make a difference to our industry and to the people that we serve. 24 hours later, my son raised his hand and he said, I have some friends in the gin producing business and I've already had a conversation with them. They, their business has just totally ground to a halt. They can transition and make hand sanitation. My daughter, who is VP of e-commerce, said, Charlie, I'll support you with marketing efforts from labeling to e-commerce presence and and marketing initiatives if you can pull this off. So uh, we didn't have a single supplier that could do everything. So he sourced the gallant jugs from outside the country. Uh, they just weren't available in the USA. He then found the sanitation company that would switch from gin making to hand sanitizer. But they couldn't bottle it, so we had it shipped in to friends in Knoxville, Tennessee, that their restaurant had actually just closed down, and they had 22 people that had been laid off. And the guy called, when Charlie was talking to the gentleman, he said, you just saved the lives of our 20 Associates because I had no way to pay them. And so they worked round the clock bottling this hand sanitizer and it really set us on the path toward being successful and making that change and of course as all that was going on uh, uh, other parts of the country were bringing in container loads of latex gloves, uh, toilet paper, all the things that were so very difficult to find, the forehead thermometers, uh, hand sanitizer dispensers, the things that our country, our world desperately needed.
1: How has the pandemic changed the restaurant supply business um, has, has delivery of items been a, a challenge for you
0: You know, it's very interesting that you asked that. Early on, we got with our uh, freight providers, whether it was our LTL, which means uh, refrigeration ranges, etc., or our small partial provider, and said this is what we are expecting because we are an essential business. Can you support this? So in every case, both small, partial, and large equipment, we had a confirmation that they would put a truck at our dock, and as we filled it, that they would pull that truck. So that was a huge blessing and a huge relief for us, and we would we'd drop. 10 truckloads of merchandise going outbound daily. Now where it turned out to be a real challenge was inbound freight. We found that that slowed immensely. A lot of factories were forced to close. Some factories, uh, because of social distancing, which was certainly needed, would have a partial staff. And so that caused some real issues as far as being able to uh, follow the supply chain all the way through and keep timely deliveries.
1: What do you see happening in the future in regard to to um, industry challenges regarding, uh, supplies and getting supplies to people.
0: Uh, It Everything seems to be coming together much better than it was. Our supply chain has increased at least 60%, and I see that continuing, uh, assuming that we don't have another setback, which I'm certainly hopeful that doesn't happen. And of course, as, as you know and we know, things are quite different with what we knew about COVID, which was nothing in February and March to now we're much more schooled on it, much more able to handle some of these spikes that are happening from the standpoint of saving people's lives, to be honest. So it seems that people are at, in our industry have been more willing to increase their staff, to increase their output, and that continues to grow.
1: You recently did a Q&A for us, um, and one of the things that you said was the companies that survived this crisis will be the strong one, strong ones that adapted and continue to adapt to meet the unique demands of this time and to meet customers where they're shopping. So how important has adaptation been for your business, and how do you meet your customer base where they're shopping?
0: Adaptation has been critical for us. Uh, again, that senior team came together and said, you know, the world is changing We have got to figure out how to, exactly as you said, meet our customers where they want to be met. Well, they certainly didn't want to be met coming into the building. They didn't want to be met with our sales team going to them. So we have a a very strong... Phone team of which we increased twofold in a matter of just weeks. And that was where we were able to transition people from other parts of the company that had great knowledge on the equipment and the supplies and take those phone orders. We also have a very palatable e commerce arm of which we continue to roll out new products, especially with the PPE, the disposable products. All of that became at, at at the forefront for that team, that team was also able to work from home. So that was a a huge help as far as relieving the company and allowing the company to have a minimum of six feet and sometimes as much as 12 to 20 feet between each associate, which kept everyone safe. Also, we furnished masks for our entire team so that they could continue to do the work that needed to be done. And then our outside sales team and our contract uh, quickly adapted to Zoom calls with their customers and were so grateful that the customers were reciprocal of those actions. So we immediately went to work and uh, made the changes that whether the customer wanted to be online, on phone, or by Zoom, that we could do that in all of those arenas to continue to grow the company and provide the needs that the customer had.
1: So You brought your family into the business, um, and it was named for them. Um, so it's kind of uh, you know uh, you know good that they they've joined it eventually. Um, so how is that working with them to grow to the to grow the business? And do you ever think you'll
0: retire? Uh, let's start with the latter first. Do I ever think I will retire? Uh, probably not as far as not ever being here. However, let me tell you what I'm working on right now, and that is the succession plan of K Tom. Do I plan to be in this seat? No, I do not. That would be the most unfair thing in the world to not only the company, but to these two entities, Paula and Charlie, that have been in this company for a couple of decades now. Now, family businesses are fickle at best, but they're also marvelous. It's some of the most challenging times that I have ever had as you work closely with your family, especially when it's your children. But it's also the most rewarding thing that I have ever done. And I'm, I'm quite frequently reminded of what Dr. Seuss said, which said, why fit in where you were born to stand out? When you're working with your children, They want to stand out. They want to show you that they can bring value to the company of which they have. So you have to really look within yourself and change your attitude and say, hey, that's a great idea. That isn't how I thought I wanted to do it. That's not how I plan to do it, but thank you for bringing that idea to the table. And both of these uh, these young people are millennials. Let me tell you, I have never worked with a group of people that are as smart as the millennial team is. And they just have creative and dynamic ideas that I absolutely adore. So retire, they'll probably allow me to be the gardener, or maybe they'll let me ship a box or two on occasion. Uh, but supportive of where they want to take this company, one hundred percent. Billion dollars, here they come.
1: What do you think your husband would think of the company that has created uh, after, after his passing?
0: You know what, quite frequently I kind of see him with a cigar in his mouth just kind of smiling great big saying, ha, she did it. I knew she had it in her. I always felt like when he was living that he had his hand in the middle of my back pushing me forward because there were times, as I said earlier, that I didn't believe that I could, but he knew I could. So I think he would be one of the most proud individuals that's ever walked this earth.
1: How do you see the restaurant industry evolving? You know, we're we're still going through the pandemic and, and the recovery process. Um, and and what kind of excites you about it?
0: Well, I think we're definitely going to play a more supportive role with restaurants and what their needs are. Uh, one of the things that, let me just give you an example of how uh, how things are changing. What, what are people struggling with most right now? Well, it's cash flow, of course. So we went out and worked with a couple of leasing companies and said, hey, uh, this is a very difficult time. Are you interested in helping us work through a program where you defer payments for three to six months? And we had one that would even defer for nine months. So our restaurateurs can preserve their cash and use that money for the food that they are producing as they can, as they work really hard to bring in revenues. So that has been a big push, and that has been wildly accepted. So I I see a lot of changes coming in our industry. I think, to be quite honest, we've been part of a paradigm shift, and I feel like there will never be the same lackadaisical attitude that we have had towards sanitation. Sanitation has elevated in such a huge, way, which it should have long before it did. And I'm sorry that it took COVID to bring us to this point, but I think we'll probably continue to see the use of masks with food, the use of latex gloves with food, the use of uh, protective shields and sneeze guards when it's around food, which I think is a good uh, policy to adopt for all of us.
1: Thank you so much. This has been amazing speaking with you.
0: Well, I thank you for the opportunity. Uh, You are amazing, and the way you put everything together is somewhat magical. So, thank thank you, you. and thank you for including me. And I hope you have a fantastic. Yes,
1: you do. You too. Have a great day.